Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, LifePoint. Good to see you all here today. Hey, listen, I just, as Sean said, we're starting a brand new series today called Who We Are, and I really believe it's one of those foundational series that helps kind of set the course. Because one of the things that we want to talk about is, well, who have we been as a church? Who are we as a church? Who are we going to be as a church? And this is one of those series that our prayer is it will answer that question. And one of the things that we talked about last week, and by the way, if you're a guest here, you're visiting for the first time, I just want you to say, we're so glad that you're here. And I think that it's a great time to be here, even though it may feel like a family talk, because it's an opportunity for you to get a behind-the-curtains kind of look at the kind of church and really the heartbeat of who we are. So we welcome you and we're glad that you're here today. So as we begin this series, one of the things that uh, we talked about last week, as Sean said, was kind of the future, that we're going to open a new campus by Easter of 2025. And though we are excited, and by the way, last Sunday was such an exciting weekend, we had so much positive feedback. Thank you for, for just uh, the feedback. As so many of you who are just kind of commenting on what I am excited about is I can clearly see the fingerprints of God, and I am with you. That is what we are all most excited about. But as we said last week, it isn't about the next location and it isn't about the building. In the end, we aren't inviting you to fall in love with that, but to continue to be in love with the mission of Jesus Christ, to share Jesus and to build believers. And so today we are talking about this new series, Who We Are, and here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the three priorities of our church. Why are we talking about priorities? Because priorities determine our pathway. In other words, if we say our mission is we're gonna share Jesus and build believers, but then we do things that don't move us towards sharing Jesus and build believers, then we're not really sharing Jesus and building believers, right? It's a mission we want to have, but it's not one that we're going to accomplish. For example, if I claim that I want to run a marathon next year, and then I spend as my priorities instead of running and getting in shape, I eat chips and watch sports all the time, I'm probably going to have these priorities are going to reveal, they're going to go against my mission that I claim that I want to have. So as a church, we can claim we want to share Jesus and build believers, but our behavior, our three priorities are going to determine which way we actually go. The priorities determine our pathway, and so that's what this series is about. What will, as we move into a new chapter as a church, our priorities be? And what we're calling this series is who we are. In other words, it isn't something that we haven't been doing. It isn't something we're certainly attempting to do now. But it is also something that we will continue to prioritize. Lots of things are important, but everything can't be the priority. And so these are the three priorities. And we want to invite you to not only come on the journey, but to help us become the kind of church that pursues these three priorities. New series, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. And here's why it's so important. Because we're trying to reclaim something that's been lost. Something in the church of Jesus Christ that no longer exists like it once did. When two millennia ago, the founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ, launched something brand new that the world had never seen in fact, it wasn't an extension of what had been. It wasn't like it was Judaism 2.0. We know that because the religious leaders were actually the ones who helped arrest and execute Jesus. He did something so disruptive that it caused a brand new movement. And it was the church. 
And oh, the church, when it was launched by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, was a beautiful thing that thrived. And people were drawn to. And it became so irresistible that it launched numerically and geographically around the world for hundreds of years. It was a beautiful thing. And one of the core things that Jesus did when he launched the church was he replaced sacred places with sacred people. And that is why, though we are excited about a new place God has called us to, it will never be sacred. It's the people that we are on mission toward that are sacred. This has been the model Jesus introduced 2,000 years ago. When he said, I will build my church, he said in Matthew 16, 18, it was that word ecclesia. It was never about a place. It was never about a building. It was always about building a gathering of people. That people were sacred and the heartbeat of Jesus Christ wasn't about rebuilding some building. It was about building a group of people that would be experiencing the sacred love. Replacing sacred places with sacred people. It was so attractive. But something's happened. And my question to you is what has happened to cause the American church, the church in the West, to suddenly become so resistible? Because we saw last week in a data report from Barna Group that the church attendance is lower than it has ever been historically in our nation. The church is becoming increasingly resistible. Why? What has happened? I believe that we are unintentionally, unintentionally creating a church that Jesus never intended. And so the question we want to ask as we kick off this series today is how can the church become irresistible again? How can we regain what was lost? And I think in order to answer that question, we have to discover and articulate, well, what made the original church, the early church, so irresistible? And that's what we're gonna discover today and over the next three weeks. In fact, one of the things that we will see is that if we're real honest, as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and study the life of Jesus as he walked the earth, He spent most of his time with people who make us feel uncomfortable, right? He spent time with the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery or the lepers or the tax collectors or the sinners or the beggars or the poor. It seems like he was constantly with these people who make most of us, if we're honest, feel uncomfortable in how we spend our time. But the thing that drove the religious people nuts 2,000 years ago was that Jesus allowed people who were nothing like him, to feel at complete home with him. And that bothered the religious people more than anything. Because fundamentally, Jesus was introducing something brand new. And here it is. Jesus was saying, all people are sacred. And everybody wants to believe that, but not everybody practices that. Would you say those four words with me? All people are sacred. Say those four words with me. Say that out loud. All people are sacred. Now look to your neighbor and look at them and say, you are sacred. All right. That was only three words. Three words. Whatever else you told them was on you, but Jesus said you are sacred. All right. I love this. Fundamentally, all people are sacred. Say those four words with me. All The story we're going to look at today is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture because in this story, if we could ever capture this, this story alone explains why 
the early church was so irresistible. And if we ever could capture this story in the heart of the church as Jesus designed it, it would make a radical difference in Collin County. In this story we're going to look at today, we're going to see something Jesus did that bothered everybody. It disrupted everybody. And when you read it, you're going to go, well, of course, if that were true, no wonder the church would be irresistible. And it is what we are pursuing as a church here at LifePoint. And so I hope you're ready, open hearts, open ears to see this story. It's in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 14 through 17. If you're not familiar with the story or the context of the story, can I just tell you, this is Jesus' first year of ministry. If you don't know, Jesus had about three years of public ministry at the end of his life. And at the end of his life, these three public years of ministry began around the Sea of Galilee. In fact, I want you to look at this map because on this map you will see Jesus, though he was born in Bethlehem down near Jerusalem, he was raised, his hometown would be Nazareth. However, where you'll see most of his first year, in fact, most of his public ministry is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee in a town called Capernaum. Most people would even say this was Jesus' actual chosen hometown. This is where you see many of his miracles, many of his teachings are all around this little tiny village of Capernaum, about 1,500 people. And so some of us are not from Texas, and we moved to Texas, and we say, well, we chose Texas. Well, that's what Jesus, yeah, he's from Nazareth, but he chose Capernaum. That's where he seems to be most of the time throughout the Gospels. And the reality is, what we're going to see is how close these communities are. They are all tiny villages, and word of mouth spread fast. There was no Instagram or TikTok, but word of mouth would spread so fast in these tiny little villages that were so close to each other. And we're going to read a story today that happened in the early part of Jesus' ministry that shook this whole region, and it reverberated throughout the early church. And this is one of the reasons why it was so irresistible. Jesus has just performed a miracle there in Capernaum where he healed a paralytic man. Some of you know the story where a man was let down through the roof of a house and Jesus forgives him and then he heals him. Everyone looks at him and goes, oh my goodness, he might actually be the Messiah. He is actually divine. Something's going on and they praised him. And he leaves that scene still in Capernaum and the very first thing he does is the story we're about to read. And it's the story that shocked the world. We pick it up in verse 14. After this miracle where he's healed this man and everybody's praising God, as he walked along, so he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Levi, whose name later would be changed to Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, if you're in the first century and you read that last part, you groan and you go, oh no, the tax collectors, right? Because you know out throughout the Gospels, the tax collectors always have their own category of sin. There's the sinners, and then there's those people, the tax collectors. They're that bad. There was no one who fueled the hate in the heart of a first century Jewish person like the tax collectors. Because they were considered betrayers or traitors who actually sided with the oppressive Roman enemy. And so they were considered extorters and the worst of all sinners. And now Jesus is going 
to do something when he approaches the worst of all sinners. I don't know about you, but if you've got somebody in mind that you think in the 21st century, these are those people, the worst of all sinners, whoever that extra category might be. Imagine if Jesus walked up to them, what he would do? Well, here we're about to find out because he walks up to the despised tax collector and instead of pointing his finger like some of us might want him to do, the next part of verse 14, Jesus said, follow me. Follow me? I can think of a lot of things you would say to the most despised person, but follow me is not one of them. But Jesus is again reiterating those four words that we've been saying. Say them with me. All people are sacred. You forgot them, didn't you? You've already forgotten those four words. I give you four words, people. Let's try it again. Say it with me. All You're on it. You won't forget them now. So now, instead of a lecture... Jesus gives an invitation, and he says to this tax collector, follow me. See, here's what I find interesting, though. Levi knows he's nothing like Jesus. In fact, Levi knows that Jesus doesn't approve of his behavior. So there's no way Levi would follow Jesus, right? And then we see, as we continue to read this verse, follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Why? Jesus was so irresistible that even people who were nothing like him liked him in ways that doesn't make sense to you and I. There was something irresistible about our Savior, Jesus. Oh, but it's the next part that drove the religious crazy. Look at verse 15. And while this is what he does next. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, what? He goes to Levi's house. He sits down to have dinner with him. Now, let's be honest. Our first instinct is, now, wait a minute, Levi. Are you endorsing this tax collector's behavior? Are you endorsing what he does in his life? I mean, after all, in that day, people who would have sat for dinner, there is an agreement of friendship that's taking place. It's like a transaction. Jesus is risking his reputation in order to have dinner with this tax collector. But that's not the worst part because see who else is there? In verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house and there are many tax collectors, many of those people and sinners, different category, they're just sinners, who were eating with him. Who's the him? Jesus. They're all eating together. We don't know exactly how many, but there are many. Now listen, if you're new, or you feel like you're outside of faith, or you feel like you've done something that disqualifies you from being here or being in the faith, just know that you are on Jesus' guest list. You are welcome here. And Jesus is the one who qualifies you. And you know why you are qualified? Say it with me, these four words. All people are sacred. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to grab some water. All right, so look with me at, well, i got to talk. Here, hang on a second. <clears throat> there we go. So here's my question. <clears throat> Why would people who are nothing like Jesus, like these tax collectors and sinners, feel at home with Jesus? In fact, why would they even show up? 
If you got an invitation from someone that you knew didn't agree with what you're doing, why would you go to that person's invitation and respond? Why are these people responding to Jesus' invitation? I believe that there is something in the human heart that's revealed here. That every human heart wants the message of Jesus to be true even before they believe it's true. That we want the gospel to be true even if we don't yet believe that it is. And these who show up are hoping that it's true though they don't yet believe. There is something about his love that is irresistible. But let's talk about the elephant in the room. As Jesus is sitting there with those people, did he endorse their behavior? Did he endorse their lifestyle? Well, clearly not, because we see throughout the rest of his teaching how he talks about integrity and honesty, and this would have gone against everything these tax collectors practiced. However, what Jesus is revealing, and I think this is so important, that Jesus had this ability to fully accept people whose behavior he didn't fully approve of. Let me say that again. Jesus had the ability to fully accept people whose behavior he didn't fully approve of. Somehow, Jesus was able to separate ministry and theology. He did not lay down his theology, but he never allowed his theology to prevent him from ministering to anyone. You know why? Because he saw them as sacred and he was convinced that this would be the way to spread his love. But notice who else is there and this is the part that's most fascinating to a lot of us. Look at verse, the rest of verse 15. While Jesus was there having dinner with Levi, at Levi's house with many tax collectors and sinners that were there eating with him and his disciples. These are the people who are following him. These are the people who are committed to him and they've been following him for some time. For there were many who followed Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but of all the people at the table, these are the ones I want to know what they think the most. I am most interested in what they're thinking as they look across the table and they see all these sinners and tax collectors because up until now, these were two different groups of people. And let's be honest, isn't that the way it always goes? The longer you know Christ, the more you only know people who follow Christ. And that's a danger. That's something that we must resist, but we have a gravitational pull toward people who are most like us. And now we have at this table people who are sinners and tax collectors on one side, who only hang out with sinners and tax collectors. And on the other side of the table, we have followers of Jesus who only hang out with followers of Jesus. And only Jesus is able to bring them all to one table. People who completely oppose each other because of their differences are at a table with Jesus and they are at home. Why? Because he makes them at home. Jesus is introducing something so extravagant grace that the world had never seen. Radical inclusion. In fact, we'll define it this way, what Jesus was introducing, because I can't help but think that the disciples had to have been thinking, Jesus, we just saw you heal someone. We heard you teach beforehand and how you forgave the paralyzed man. 
We want to dive into that theologically. Let's dive into some of that doctrine. Let's better understand how the law speaks into this. We want to spend time with you, and we've got a lot of questions. But instead, Jesus goes immediately to this table with other sinners and tax collectors. He says, I am going to ask you to lay that down so that we can have these people at the table. It was radical inclusion, and that's what I believe to define that is we prioritize the comfort of those on the margins over the preferences of the people within. We're able to hold on to truth while extending a hand in ministry. And that drove people crazy. Look at the religious because they're watching and they're noticing. Remember, it's a small town. Word of mouth travels so fast. And as a result, look at verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were with the Pharisees, or who are the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What is he thinking? And I know that they were probably thinking what some of us struggle with from time to time. It looks like Jesus is endorsing them. It looks like Jesus is agreeing with them. He's enabling them. We want Jesus to take a stand. We want Jesus to make it clear. We want Jesus to maybe even let them have it. But instead, Jesus is sharing a meal and sitting at a table with all these people who are not comfortable to be at a table with. Why? And it is to this question that Jesus makes what I believe is a game-changing statement where he sets the course for the early church who would follow this and become irresistible. In the next statement, Jesus says it. Verse 17, he says, on hearing the question why, he said to them, because it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. We must be careful when we see ourselves as righteous outside of Jesus. But I have come to call sinners. And Paul would later say, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, well, actually, these are all sinners sitting around the table whose only hope is through what Jesus would do on the cross. And to be careful not to see ourselves because, as we often say, there are two kinds of people, those who know Jesus and those who don't. And the best part of me, the only good part of me, has nothing to do with me. It's all about Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, once again we could see the church like this table that Jesus established where we say we have come to call sinners to the table to find the Savior who is the only hope in this world. Why? Because Jesus loves everyone, therefore his table is for everyone and his church is is for anyone because Jesus loves everyone his church is for anyone he made a seat at the table for anyone they were invited to be at his table but now let's get really personal that sounds really good but how let's be honest can anyone feel at home at life point I think our heart would be, if we heard that question, well, of course. We want our answer 
to be yes. And if we push a little bit, we might go, well, except for Democrats, right? Or except for Republicans, or except for people who vote for that candidate or that president, or people who see that issue or that issue, or for those people or those, we kind of have our exceptions, right? And what Jesus did by inviting Levi was he wanted to remove all exceptions and to say, no, it is for anyone. Because our only hope is Jesus Christ. Not voting right, living right, it's him and him alone. And through he and the Holy Spirit, lives are changed, but it only begins once we meet him. And our job is to knock away every barrier to the cross, which alone is the barrier to surrender to him. We just invite people to his table, whoever they are. And this is a game changer. And so I believe, as we think of this question, can anyone feel at home at LifePoint? I think we want to say yes. I think we genuinely desire to say yes, and that's why I love this church. But I think that most of us have a blind spot. And that's what I want to take just a second to talk about. Because it's a blind spot that I didn't discover until I was an adult in my own life. And to help share this blind spot, I want to share a personal story of a a man named Carlo Franco that I met when I was in the Air Force, stationed at Goodfellow Air Force Base in San Angelo. And for the three years I was there, he lived across the hall from me, and we became close friends. We took vacations together. In fact, he was a groomsman in my wedding. In fact, this is Carlo to the far right. This was back when you did weddings in really cool places that had window units just over his shoulder. You see that air conditioning unit? Yep. We didn't know about Instagram weddings and cool wedding venues back in the day, right? Carlo was a great guy, loves to laugh, just a good, good man. But he never went to church. When I asked him why, he said, because I don't have to. Well, that's a very honest answer. Carlo loved to go mountain biking, and so on every Sunday morning, he would be found, most Sunday mornings, mountain biking. Later, he would even own a bike shop. On Sunday mornings, I would go to the church I loved, the church I'd been part of, and the church that I would eventually go on to staff and serve for 12 years. It was a church where we would dress up, and we would sing hymns with a piano and an organ. We would have a choir that would sing a special every week, and the Pastors spoke expository, verse-by-verse messages, and I'll be honest with you, I loved it. It was all I had ever known, and I was growing in my faith, and I loved this church. And so I finally invited Carlo to church, to the church I loved, and I'll never forget the day that he was my guest, and I was so proud of our church because they were friendly, just like we would be if someone came and visited our church. But it was after the service that my eyes were open to my blind spot. When I asked Carlo what he thought of his experience at the church I loved, and he said, well, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad you like it. And he never went back. And as we began to talk about it, I was discovering something I didn't previously see. He saw me as an insider at a church that focused on insiders. But he saw himself as an outsider at a church that focused on insiders. And for the first time, it dawned on me that the church I loved wasn't for anyone. 
See, my native language is the church. I grew up in the church. I love the church. I grew up learning and memorizing verses and learning the Bible stories, and some of you may have as well. But when God put somebody in my path who had a very different background, all of a sudden I saw a very different perspective. Because it turns out Carlo grew up differently than I did, and Carlo was able to tell me that he considered himself a Christian, but he was very intimidated by the Bible because he didn't know the stories, he hadn't memorized the verses, and he didn't know the language of the church as he came into it that day. He thought our church was friendly, but he far from belonged. He didn't feel accepted. And I got to thinking about it. I guess it would be sort of like when some churches consider themselves friendly, but only friendly, it would be like me inviting someone over to my home and taking them into my living room, inviting them to my, or introducing them to my family, and my family going around the room and introducing themselves, genuinely happy to see my friend. We invite the friend to sit in the living room and have a little bit of conversation, and then it's time for the meal, and we all get up, leave him there, and go to the table, and we eat, and we tell family stories, and share inside jokes, and then after we're done with our meal, we walk back to our friend in the living room, and we are friendly once again, and we thank them for coming, and we walk them to the door and ask them to come to dinner again next week. Friendly, but they clearly don't belong. That was Carlo's experience with my church. He didn't fall in love with the church that I loved, and he never came back. And I remember thinking 30 years ago now, I wish there was a church where Carlo could feel accepted, where Carlo could feel like he belonged, where he could ask the questions about faith that he and I have talked about, where he could wrestle with faith with other Christians, and where he could ultimately find Jesus. He and I lost touch over the years and been decades. But I'll be honest with you, for 30 years as I began to go into ministry, the impossible prayer that I have been praying is this one. God, let me pastor a church where people like Carlo feel at home. And I will tell you, it is one of the most attractive reasons that I came to LifePoint Church. Because I believe that's your heart too. That you not only want to be friendly to, but you want to open your arms to people no matter what they've done that week, no matter what they're struggling with. They are not only welcome to walk in, but we want to include them in the day. We want them to truly belong and to be accepted. And I remember when I first came to LifePoint three years ago, it was the first series I taught, and it was entitled, No Matter What, You Are Loved. And the idea was simply this, all people are sacred. Our God is so good. Because four weeks later, <clears throat> It was Easter Sunday, that first Easter that I was here in 2021. At 3.07 that morning, I received a message from my long-lost friend, Carlo. He said, good morning, Mark. In the last two years, more lately, I've been drawn to the Lord. And this morning at 2 a.m., you came into my mind, and I decided to look you up to see what you're up to. And I watched you speak for my first time in part one of No Matter What, You Are Loved. And today, after 48 years on this earth, I finally submitted my life to God. And I look forward to learning from you every Sunday. I love you, brother. Our God is so good. Amen. 
Carlo now lives on the East Coast with his wife, Christina. And they now attend church every Sunday together. And I talked with Carlo this week, and he said he loves his new church where he feels so accepted and where he belongs. And he said, I love that I understand what the pastor's talking about. And then he said, you know, Mark, it's been three years, and Christina and I still watch your service every Sunday. So I want to give a shout-out to Carlo and Christina. Carlo, I love you too. Amen. So why is it a big deal that people feel at home here? Because I believe Jesus taught us something, that people are not on a truth quest. They are on a belonging quest. And Jesus gave a seat at a table for someone who was so far and unlike him and allowed him to belong and ask questions, to wrestle with truth, at a pace that made sense for them. And though Jesus held his theology, he prioritized the comfort of the people who were on the margins over the preferences of those who were already within. Jesus, his heart, was this radical inclusivity, this extravagant grace. And it defined the early church, and it made it irresistible. Because Jesus loves Everyone. His church is for anyone. Because of these four words, say them with me. All people are sacred. And this is one of our three priorities. Life point, we will be, we have been and we will continue to be and we will continue to grow in this area. A church for anyone. You can bring anybody you work with anybody you go to school with, anyone you live near, anyone you get to know and bring them to life point. You say, how are we going to do that? Well, I can tell you this. As a church, we are committed to when you bring a guest here that they will feel at home, that they can ask the questions and they can wrestle with questions of faith here, that this is a safe place to do that. We won't just talk about them, we will include them in the service. It's why we open with songs that have broader connection. It's why every week in our announcements you hear us talk to guests and you think, wait a minute, didn't we do that last week? Yes, you know why? Because every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. So you've been so graceful to go, hey, I know this is for the guest I'm going to bring or that somebody else has brought and we're speaking to them every time we're trying to include them in the service. And if you're here today and this is your first time, we are so focused on people who are far from God, people who want to take steps toward God. We're all on this journey and we invite you in. We want you here and we want you to know that you have a seat at the table. It's why every week when we open the scriptures, we want to give the background to the story so everyone can take the journey into the truth of that scripture. And at the end of each message, we want to have an application for those who are following Jesus and those who aren't. These are steps ultimately toward him. Everyone is sacred, and we want to be a church for anyone. So let me give you these three applications as we close. Number one, to acknowledge that everyone is sacred 
If you are not a follower of Jesus and you feel like you're not worthy or you, don't, you are less than or that you aren't qualified, what Jesus would tell you, you are made in God's image and Jesus went to the cross for you, that you have great worth and that you are worthy of love and that you are sacred. In the same way, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are sacred. And sometimes in understanding the rules, we begin to feel less and less. We begin to get covered with shame and covered with guilt. And we forget the worthiness of who God has made us to be. And to recognize that we have worth, supreme worth and purpose. And there are no exceptions that anybody you can look in the eyeball, they too are sacred. No exceptions. Number two. To ask this question, how are you showing guests they belong here each Sunday? And if you're here and you're new, I hope we've done a good job. We want to continue to improve. We are just so glad that you're here. But we don't want you to just visit. We want you to get connected. We want you to belong here. And I believe there are a lot of ways we can do this. But can I tell you how not to do that? This is a partnership between the church collectively If we really want to become a church for anyone, and I know that we do, then it it requires a commitment on our part. And can I tell you how not to do that? If you regularly come in a minute late and leave a minute early, that isn't helping us be a church for anyone. Because what I would invite you to do is to reach out to people whose face you don't recognize. And maybe it's at the dismissal of each service. You take the first two minutes And you hold off on the people you want to talk to, who you know, who you connect with regularly, and you find someone you've yet to meet. Take two minutes and engage. Here's why. Because when you bring your guest, we're going to do that for you. And when we bring our guest, we ask that you do that with us. We want this to be a place where everyone can belong. In order to do that, we all have to partner together. And if anyone, by the way, is alone, it should be an emergency for us all. That no one is left alone. But it takes our work that we recognize, oh, we're in partnership. This is a table that we're setting. And it isn't just for family. It's for guests. And we want to be host as much as we are participants each and every Sunday. We participate in that. And then finally, number three, who is a person on the margins that you are spending time with? Who is your Carlo? Because in the end, the longer we follow Jesus, the more we spend time exclusively with followers of Jesus. This is the gravitational pull. And Jesus lived a very different way intentionally. And I would encourage you, if you don't have someone like that, you just begin to pray, God, they're in my life. Just show me where they are. Show me how I can begin to spend time with people who are outside of faith, who are outside of the church, to build the relationship. See, at the end of the day, what's the result of the dinner that Jesus, that we just read? Well, at the end of the day, Levi became Matthew. By the way, he was a tax collector. He became such a committed follower of Jesus that he became one of the 12 disciples. He became such a committed disciple that he wrote one of the gospels. In fact, it's the very first book in our New Testament is written by Levi, the tax collector. Eventually, he becomes a martyr for his faith. He becomes so committed to being a follower of Jesus, all because Jesus allowed him to have a seat at the table and allowed him to belong before he even believed. He liked Jesus, even though he was nothing like Jesus. There was something irresistible about being able to feel at home 
with Jesus. And that's what made the early church so irresistible. And my prayer is that we can do that again. That once again, we would be a church for anyone. Why? Say it with me, these four words. Because all people are sacred. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you love us no matter what we've done. We can never keep you from loving us. And no matter what we might do, you'll never love us more. You are so in love with us because we are made in your image. And God, help us to believe in the sacredness of humanity. And in the same way, the humanity of others. And God, help us to recognize that we aren't gatekeepers to your table. We are inviters. And help us, God. Thank you for our history as a church. I think it's unique that we've been a church for anyone. But God, help us not to let that fall off of our radar as our priority, that we will be a church where we can bring anyone here And they can take their time to ask questions and to wrestle with faith. God, we want to see more lives transformed. And that means that we must have relationships with people outside of faith. And we must work hard to make this a table for anyone. God, lead us courageously toward that as a church. All for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.